Today, we're going to be speaking with Benjamin Dennehy, the UK's most hated sales trainer. He's going to be sharing with us what the difference between a salesperson and an order taker is, what the root cause of all problems in a sales pipeline is, as well as discounting. And next week, we're going to be speaking with Gary Johnson. He teaches a university course on professional selling, and he's going to share with us what he covers in these courses and some brief highlights. He's also going to discuss how to succeed by planning for the end and how to deal with non-team players. Let's get started with Benjamin Denny. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Benjamin, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. So I, I'm reading your LinkedIn and I see that you are the UK's most hated sales trainer. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's quite, quite the, uh, the name to call yourself. Why is that? Why is that? Um, I suppose I work in a crowded competitive uh, commoditized marketplace, uh, many could say, and uh, you have to stand out. Um, and, uh, I'm friends with a, with a gentleman uh, known as Brad Burton. He's the UK's uh, number one motivational business speaker. And, um, we, we became quite good friends and, uh, I went on one of his, his events. And, um, one of the things he said is, um, to help you grow as a person and as a brand, you need to find a space, occupy it and then own it. Um, and it goes back to Muhammad Ali. If you think about it, Muhammad Ali just continually told people, I am the greatest, I am the greatest, I am the greatest. And eventually, he owns that space. It doesn't matter who comes after him, no matter who's better. If anyone in boxing ever said, well, I am the greatest, everyone would sort of look at them and say, no, you're not. That's Muhammad Ali. Um, so I thought I wanted to create something that um, would make me stand out uh, and that would also play to my personality because I'm quite blunt and direct and what I teach is very challenging. Uh, and I thought, well, most people want to be the most loved or the most admired or the most trusted or the most whatever. And I thought, no, who wants to be the most hated? Uh, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna tick that box. I'm going to take that space. I'm going to create it mine uh, and I'm going to push it. And it will enable me to tell the kind truth in my blunt style and manner uh, and it will also prepare people before they even engage with me as to what to expect. Um, and there's a psychology behind it too, because I'm not as horrible as I come across uh, in posts or uh, in my videos. And most people say when they meet me, you're not nicer than I thought you were going to be. And uh, that's always <laughs> a good thing when you're selling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that's it. Create a space and own it. So I am the UK's most hated sales trainer and um, my colleagues love it. Uh, and I've had nothing but praise from it, actually. I haven't had anyone yet say you're a complete tool for doing it. Someone will, and um, that just proves I'm hated. So <laughs> bring it on. There you go. <laughs> bringing, tr bringing truth to the name. Exactly. Yeah, you can't lose with this position. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How many companies uh, have you helped? Oh, crikey. That's a good question. Um, 
I've worked with individuals through to larger, large businesses. And I suppose, I suppose over the last, I've been doing this for four years properly as a trainer. So I suppose over the last four years, you could say I've worked with 15 to 20. Um, are all different software companies, uh, telecoms companies, award ceremonies, construction uh, companies, um, variety of, of businesses. Um, but they all have the same problems and they all have buyers and prospects and people buy the same way. So the, the beauty of what I get to do is I get to work with any type of company in any industry. Um, and I'm blessed on that front. So yeah, 15 to 20, I'd say over the past four years. Excellent. And so you say that they all have the same problems. Yes. What's the most common problems that they come to you with? Most sales problems can boil down to one thing, and that is lack of prospecting. Lack of prospecting is huge. Virtually every problem in a business can be resorted back to the fact that they're not getting in front of enough people. Because you know, if you're not getting in front of enough people, you have to sell discounted. You find yourself being driven by the prospect system for how they want to buy from you as opposed to you controlling the process. Cash flow, all of the issues that flow from not selling enough flow from the fact you're not in front of enough people. So prospecting is the biggest one. And it's the one thing salespeople hate doing the most, picking up the phone and looking for someone to sell to. They all say they love it, but you judge a salesman by their actions, not by their words. And you just have to sit in a sales office in any company across the globe, I'd say, say three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, and you could probably hear a pin drop. <laughs> yes, they're all afraid of the phone. And it's the phone they're scared of. So they'll fart about on LinkedIn or social media or they're researching. They do all the crap to avoid the very one thing they should do is just pick up the phone. Um, and it frustrates business owners a lot. It frustrates CEOs. It frustrates MDs. It's like we can't grow because we're not in front of enough people. And when we are in front of people, we pretty much have to take what we can get because we have to hit our figures. So uh, telephone prospecting is certainly one of the key ones. So prospecting. Another one is long sales cycles. Sales cycles are often drawn out because salespeople aren't good at qualifying. So then that leads on to an inability to qualify properly. So salespeople who can't ask the right questions at the right time. Um, other things like discounting and over-servicing. So I work with advertising and creative agencies, and they're notorious for over-servicing uh, and doing that little bit extra. So um, the, the, the problems are vast, but um, if I had to pick one, it comes down to prospecting as the foundational problem for most sales problems. Now, isn't prospecting more of a marketing uh, problem? Without doubt, yeah, without doubt. So... There is marketing in the sense of like using LinkedIn or television or radio or what we're doing now, podcast to get people, your name out there to draw leads to you. Um, but the most, one of the most cheapest and probably the most effective is actually picking up the phone and specifically targeting individuals within organizations that you know. If they have problems you can fix, would probably engage you in a conversation. Um, and I have found through growing my own business and through helping other companies do it, that picking up the phone, if you know how to do it properly and talking to a real person who then says, you know what, I think you might have something, I'm willing to explore this further with you. That is, that, that is, worth, that is worth making $100 to get 10 of those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so how do you suggest the salesperson 
like get over that hurdle and how do you help somebody oh, get over that hurdle to, to make pick up the phone <laughs> how long have you got have you got a couch to lie on crikey i mean i'm like a psychiatrist and um the first thing the, the main reason why people fail at telephone prospecting is all the head trash they bring with them uh and i i often i have a i have a a saying that it's all your mother's fault you can't sell uh and it goes back to your mum because a lot of things you were taught as a child you were never told when you were a grown-up no longer apply. So you have what psychiatrists call scripted behavior. Um, and most people growing up were taught never talk to strangers. It's rude to interrupt. And if you're asked a question, particularly by someone in authority or more senior than you, you better have an answer. So then you grow up. Now, those rules are great for children, but they're useless as an adult. You should be allowed to talk to strangers. You can interrupt anybody you want, especially if you probably could fix a problem they have. And you certainly don't have to answer their questions. No one has to answer any question unless they choose to. So those are the things that are going through their head. And it's getting over that. And most people say they have a confidence problem. They don't have confidence problem. They have belief problems. The belief that the person at the other end is not going to want to hear them. The belief that they're not going to get through. The belief that they're going to ask them difficult questions that they won't be able to answer. The belief that they don't have the right to pick up the phone and call someone because they are a stranger. Goes down to their beliefs and programming. So once I can get them to see that they're wrong, I then have to give them new beliefs and new habits. Uh, and those new habits will drive their success. But it's not a quick process. It, it goes back to your being blunt and direct. When, yeah. Once you could prove that they're wrong, yeah. then, then they'll do it. I tell anybody, uh, if anybody can logically disprove that what I teach won't work, I'll train them for a furry for the rest of their life. No one's been able to do it <laughs> yet. Yeah? Emotionally, they can't do it. Intellectually, they say it makes perfect sense. Yeah, That's yeah. the problem. We're, we're emotional beings. We're not rational. Absolutely. Now, how do you handle the the objection of salespeople saying that uh, the phone is old school? Um, I tell them, prove it to me. Prove to me that it's old school. Um, yeah. If I can bring in results, bring it. If I can sit here and make some dials doing what I say, you tell me won't work, and I get results. Uh, what are you going to say? It's very easy to sit back and wait for somebody to come to you. In fact, that's what most people do in sales because most salespeople are actually order takers. They're not salespeople. They're looking for an order to take. Selling is a completely different kettle of fish. Anyone could take an order. You know, a strategically shaved monkey in a suit and tie could take an order. Um, a salesperson has to find someone who didn't know they needed what they have, enable them to discover that they actually do need it, and then have them beg them to give them the solution. That's a salesperson. Absolutely. How do you? What's a? What are the big differentiators between a salesperson and an order taker? So an order taker will beg for an appointment. I'm going to be in the area, sir. Is it all right if I pop in? Everybody knows that. It's nonsense. You're not in the area. <laughs> you're just begging, yeah? Uh, or we really, really have something I know you're really, really going to like. Uh, and if you just give me five minutes of your time. So uh, a salesperson never does it. A salesperson gets the person they're talking to to invite them in because they've led them on a journey from intellect to emotion. It goes back to what I said before. People buy emotionally, but they justify intellectually. And a sales call should be about taking someone who's intellectual when you get through to them and moving them through a funnel to emotion. So where they say, you know what, that really is a problem. Maybe you can help. So they don't beg for the appointment. They ask tough questions. Order takers don't do that because their biggest fear is hearing no. 
a salesman is going for no because there are more reasons why someone's not going to buy from me than why they would. So if I get the no's out of the way, what's left has to probably in all likelihood be a yes. And if it's a no that we can't get around, the sales process is over, isn't it? Why waste time with someone if there is a red light that cannot be got around? So that's something else that they do. Um, what else? They control the process from start to finish. Something most uh, people that call themselves salespeople don't do. They're in charge. They realize and know that the person I'm talking to, be they come to me via a lead or I phone them, if they have problems I can fix, they're the one that have the issue, not me. I may well have the solution. So in that case, I get to call the shots on how we move forwards. It's a, it's a vital mindset to have. Um, you need me, I don't need you. It's slightly arrogant, but you don't carry yourself with arrogance. You're quite humble with it. But you know going in, I don't mind if you tell me no, because I may tell you no. So uh, it's very important. Very, very different. A big difference between an order taker and a salesperson. Yeah, I, I agree uh, very much so. You know, if you put if you put the worry of your commission to the side as a salesperson, then you can make a lot more better informed decisions uh, moving forward. Oh, without doubt, w w w without doubt. I often, I often, whenever I got a group of people, I say this. I ask this question every time. Be someone has been that they could have been in business thirty years. It could be their third day in sales. I ask this question: If you were a billionaire and you were solely doing what you're doing today for the sheer joy, you don't have to sell anything. It doesn't matter. You're only doing this because you love it, and you know if people take what you have, it'll change their lives forever and make their lives better. Would you put up with half the crap your prospects put you through right now? And everybody says no. So the only reason you're doing it right now is because of the money. And that's your problem, not the prospects. Get that out of the way and you'll sell. <laughs> All right. Let's take a look at one of the other problems, uh, common problems that you say that you come across is qualifying. Qualifying, yes. Uh, I, you know, I've got a sales team myself and, and when we're looking at qualifying the lead, this is one of the, one of the most difficult parts is, you know, knowing where to cut it off and, and say, no, you're, you're too small or you're, you're not really going to be what, what we're looking for. Right. Yeah. Well, qualifying, uh, I spend my time disqualifying, actually. So uh, I think qualify, I do the negative. My job is to disqualify. My job in the cell is to find out all the reasons why we're not going to move forwards. So rather than going with a positive outlook, trying to get a yes, I go and trying to get the no's. Um, and if I can't get around the nose with you as a prospect, then I know it's not going to go further. So, for instance, you could meet somebody who has problems you can fix. They're motivated to fix them. They actually want to fix them. But they have no money. And they can't find the money. It's over. As simple as that. Or say they have, say they want to fix it. Say they're desperate to fix it. They're willing to fix it. They have the ability and the means to fix it. So they can find the money. But they have a decision-making process that you don't want to go down because it will be cumbersome or it will compel you to perhaps be sucked into their way of doing things as opposed to you doing what you know you should. Then also you would say no in that circumstance, saying, well, you know what, I can't work to that decision-making process. So for me, qualifying is three things. What is their pain? So what's motivating them today to fix it? Are they a decision-maker? Are they, are they willing and able to fix their problem? And if so, are they willing to commit the money, time, and resources to make this work. And if I'm not satisfied that I have all of those things lined up, then the person is qualified out. And it doesn't matter how big or how rich they are, 
Um, because at the end of the day, you're the one with the problem. I'm the one with the solution. And if you want me to help you, you have to do it my way. That's why you've come to me. You can't go to your doctor or your lawyer and demand that they act and behave a certain way. They'll say, you can, but this is my job. You've hired me to do my job. So that's how I approach selling and disqualifying. Convince me why I should help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's uh, that's easier said than done when when you're a new salesperson. Oh, of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very very hard to do to uh, to come with that that stance. Well, one of the good things about rookies, though, people who are just in sales, they come with a, a little less baggage because they come with very limited product knowledge. And people who are naturally less or who are more ignorant about what they sell tend to do one thing that amateurs, as I call them, people who've been in sales for, say, six, nine months onwards do. And that is rookies ask better questions because they actually are genuinely interested in the other person because they don't know the answers. So instead of going in geared up to say, oh, I know what your problem is, I can fix it. Someone asks them a question. They say, you know what? That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. But you, ask, you must have raised that for a reason. Can you tell me why? And then the prospect gives them more information. Whereas an amateur whose head's full of product knowledge goes into a sales meeting and someone tells them something. Oh, yeah, don't worry. We can fix that. We've helped many other companies. And what you actually do is scare off prospects. The one who is uh, less, less sophisticated gets more sales. And most rookies have a very good trajectory. They say well in the first three to six months. It's when they hit six to nine that they start to plateau. Why is that? Because they stop listening and asking questions and start talking more. So you would say that uh, curiosity is a key, oh, yes. a key point for salespeople. Every human being wants to be felt and understood. And the one thing we know about salespeople is the only thing they want to talk about is themselves and their product. So you have this automatic psychological clash. You've got a prospect who wants you to understand them. And you've got a salesperson who just wants you to understand that they can help you. Uh, and and you, you know from your personal experience of dealing with salespeople, um, you can see them almost chomping at the bit listening to you, but they're waiting for you to finish so that they can just get in there and explain to you why they are the solution. So, yeah, I teach people that a professional does what a rookie did on purpose. So instead of out of ignorance asking the stupid questions, they do it deliberately and on purpose. Yeah. Should just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> shut up. And be naturally curious. And remember, you don't need the money because you're a billionaire. Yes. If it, if it was that easy. <laughs> it is that easy. You've just yes. got to change your thinking. Yes. It's all, it's all in the head. Everything's it's all in, the, in head. the head. It is. It's all in the head. Good. I want to discuss your, your third problem that you said is mm. the most common problem is uh, discounting or over-servicing. Discounting, you know, is, yeah, again, uh, anyone can discount. You know, anybody could stick up a sign saying 20% off. Uh, what discounting does is, first of all, it means you, you've, you've failed to sell. If you can't get full fees on your terms and both parties walk away satisfied, you're not in sales. So discounting is a huge problem because, first of all, you can't discount costs, can you? Discounting is 100% profit. So you are giving them money. You are literally giving away your hard-earned money. And so... By discounting, you also send a message to a prospect. The reason they ask for a discount is because they don't believe that you believe in the value of what you provide. And then you say, all right, I'll give you a discount. You've already proven to them what they suspected. 
you were trying to screw me over. I'm glad I planted my feet and stood my ground. So you, you instantly reinforce the stereotype that salespeople are only in it for the money. Um, and you can never be considered a professional if that's how people view you. And unfortunately, all salespeople are tarred with the same brush. So over-servicing, again, it's a, it is a form of discounting. It is by failing to set clear expectations with your customer or with your client about what they're getting. And because remember, I'm a prospect, I'm a buyer, and you're a buyer. We buy more than we sell. And we know our job is just to get that extra bit each and every time. You know, go, go, you know, take an inch, you get a mile, I think the expression is. <laughs> yes. And that's our job. Get as much as we can for free. If I'm dealing with an enterprise deal or a government and they have different, uh, different people along the way uh, to work on the transaction where they actually get paid their bonuses based off the discount they get from me, the company. How do I how do I handle that without discounting? Oh, you're going into an entire training session there, aren't you? <laughs> Crikey, I can't give that away. That that's gold dust. It's all about managing the process and being comfortable uh, with where you need to get. Um, at the end of the day. Um, there is always somebody ultimately that makes a decision. And one of the things that I teach salespeople is particularly in enterprise selling, they need to create a, a an environment whereby the best interests of the people they're dealing with are looked after as well as the interests that they have of their own. And that's 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 a complicated process. Um, it's not it's not something that can be done easily. But there's a reason companies seek discounts and they seek to drive down costs. Our job as a salesperson is to get them to realize perhaps that is the course you should be taking. But let me ask you some questions to understand why exactly you want to do that. And it's trying to get them to discover that perhaps the purpose that they're seeking to achieve will not be achieved if they go down this route. And if it gets to a point where you can't agree, sometimes you have to walk away. And dealing with government can be difficult because they don't seem to value anything much, which is problematic. But it is challenging. But like I said, that, that, that's an entire training program right there. How do you get through enterprise selling without discounting? It can be done. It can be done. But uh, I, I think I'd do a massive mis or injustice if I tried to give you that in a five-minute snippet. Yeah. All right. So as a salesperson, how can I quickly build rapport with somebody when, that I'm on the phone with? Okay. On the phone, the easiest way to build rapport on the phone or in person is um, disarming honesty. Disarming honesty. Um, so I am so disarmingly honest on the telephone that every managing director or CIO I get through to starts laughing uh, because every call starts pretty much the same way. As soon as whoever answers, so I get through to so I get through to you and you say, it's Adam speaking. The first thing I'd say is, Adam, I'm going to be honest, it's a cold call. Do you want to hang up? Wow. And it, it, it throws them. Whenever you get through to an MD and you say, this is a cold call or this is a sales call, do you want to hang up? Their first reaction is normally said, no, what's it about? See, now it's not a cold call either because they've just given me permission to talk to them. Um, it also prevents the usual chit-chat about who I am and where I'm calling from because they never ask who I am at this stage. I said, no, it depends. What's it about? Well, well, let me have 30 seconds. And by the end of those 30 seconds, we can either agree to speak further or uh, you can hang up. Does that sound fair? And they say, sure. And then I go and do a 30-second commercial and explain to them the reason why I'm calling. And it's never about me. It's about problems in their world. Um, and you get to the end of that. So, But I get the feeling you're going to tell me none of these apply to you. 
Now, if I've done my job well, they should say, well, no, I mean, what company doesn't have those problems? Or, yes, we have those problems. Fine. Oh, I've, I've had my 30 seconds. Is it okay if we talk for a bit longer? Sure. So of those three things, why did you pick number one as being the first thing you'd want to pick? And then we just have a conversation. So, and it's not until I get the appointment that someone will ask me, sorry, I didn't catch your name. <laughs> because the rule, rule of thumb is the one thing everyone wants to do, be it an MD down to a person working in a coffee shop, they want to talk about themselves. My job is just to get them talking about themselves and their business, and they'll forget that the person they're talking to has not once told them who they are or where they're calling from. And that is important because I need salespeople to realize they are the most unimportant person in the sale. If you go into that phone call knowing the person I'm calling is more important than me because they're the one that may need me, then uh, all the head trash evaporates. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I... I, I I can't tell you, but disarming honesty. Nobody phones up and says it's a sales call or this is a cold call. Do you want to hang up? By giving them permission to hang up, they often don't take it. And if they do take it, you phone back and say, I think we got cut off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they laugh again and you may get them, you see? So you get two bites of that apple. If they hang up a third time, they still don't know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I took some classes uh way earlier in my career for psychology with in relations to sales and what, one of the things that I learned was this project uh, permission to reject and that's exactly what you're doing you call it disarming honesty but giving them the permission to reject you uh, and taking that out of their hands well it is because most people phone up and introduce themselves and ask some stupid question like how are you today uh, and whenever someone says that to me on a sales call, when I get phoned up, they say, I always say, well, my mother died last night. And it knocks them off script for about two seconds. And they say, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, anyway, the reason I'm calling, and it just demonstrates, A, they don't care, you know. So you don't, <laughs> don't start off with fake sincerity. Um, and just by giving people, the, you're right, giving them the chance to reject you. And I also, it's deliberately done by saying to someone, do you want to hang up? The psychology is I'm appealing to the rebellious child in their personality. And when you prick a rebellious child, it tends to want to do the opposite of what it's told to do. You know, the do not touch signs at the museum. How many people grown up of every age look around and just quickly touch it? They have to disobey the rule. Yeah. So when you tell someone, do you want to hang up? The, the instant reaction is normally No great <laughs> yeah i like it i like it i'm gonna start using that myself and seeing what kind of response i get yeah good good stuff all right so so let's uh take a step back and and talk on a company level how can a company build their own training program oh well, that's a very good question how can a company be in their own training program is it, this would be for sales, I'm guessing? Yes. Yeah, right. So a sales training program. Oh, I'm so used to working with companies and building one in with them. But the first thing they need to do is identify a selling process that they are all going to adhere to and follow. You cannot have a sales training program unless you're teaching a process. So you can't stick someone on the Ford production line and not tell them exactly what the Ford production line is, what it does, why it works, how it does it, and the fact that you're not allowed to deviate from it. Um, and one of the problems that uh, people have when hiring salespeople is most salespeople are like Tom Cruise and Top Gun. They're mavericks. 
They fly by the seat of their pants. They're quite proud of the fact that they don't have a process. It's my winning personality. It's, it's, it's my way with people. It's my charm. It's my command of the subject, whatever it is. It's normally a very ego-driven thing. Um, and if you were going to build a program into your business, the first thing you'd want to know is, do we have a selling process that we all buy into and that we're all going to follow habitually, consistently, without any deviation from it? Because if you don't have that, if you don't have consistency, uh, nothing will work. It's just like the legal system. It's a process that everybody who participates in it knows exactly what they're meant to be doing at what time. There's no deviation. And whatever happens at the end should be right. And all the players are more interested in doing their part right rather than thinking of what the outcome will be. Um, and so if you were going to, yeah, the first thing you need to do is find a system that you are willing to implement and teach, believe in lock, stock, and barrel and apply it consistently. That would be, I'd say, the, the, the key starting block. And there are many out there. So you have to be careful because not all, not all are equal, should I say. And I have a bias, obviously, uh, but not all are equal. Um, and the other thing I'd say is you need to understand the psycho. Selling is simply the art of human communication. That's all it is. You know, I, I'm a sales trainer, but I don't teach people how to sell. I merely teach them how to communicate. I give them a new language. I give them a new understanding of how to phrase uh, their questions, of how to get the truth from somebody. Uh, we say uh, at Sandler that selling is a West End show played by a psychiatrist. You have to be an actor and you have to understand human communication. And you get those two things right and uh, you should be okay. So you'd need a good grounding in the psychology of why you're doing what you're doing. Nothing is done in a sales meeting that's not deliberate and on purpose. And again, unless you have a system that supports that and gives you the um, techniques within it, it's not going to work. So how, how would you, uh, what would you teach a salesperson to do? What would I teach a salesperson to do? First thing would be to get them to look in the mirror and accept that most sales problems they have are their own. There are very few that are external. Second is to get them to start managing the things that they can control. And the only thing a salesperson can control is their behavior. You can't manage the outcomes. You can manage your behavior. So what you do to get from point A to point B is more important than the outcome. Um, so the thing I have to, one of the first things I teach them is to, let go of, as I said earlier, the rules that your mother have ingrained into you. Most people don't realize they have these ingrained into them, and it's not until you challenge them and get them to step out of the comfort zone and stop doing what they've always done uh, that they start to really feel the pinch here. You know that little line I just said to you about, you know, this is a cold call, do you want to hang up? Do you know how many salespeople just can't do that? It scares them. What? Why? They're too afraid? Because they're scared the person will hang up. They actually are worried what the opinion of a stranger actually matters to them. I mean, and, and, and this is what I don't get. This is, this is all in the head. And until I can get these things sorted out, uh, it's going to be really hard for them to adopt new techniques. And the problem you're going to have is you can't change your belief overnight. So you have to start doing things that go against your belief. And what happens then is you don't do them well, and they fail. And when they fail, your brain reinforces what it thought going in. Aha, I told you this doesn't work. So, you know, I, the, I, I, would, I would get a salesperson to acknowledge that they're in a system that they don't control, and they need a system that they do control. They have to accept that. So it's like the matrix, you know. Once you see the system and you take that pill, you can't undo it. You have to 
you have to go forwards. So then my job would be to teach them that success is key three things drive success in sales, behavior, attitude, and technique. And they're all linked. Because without the behavior, you're not going to do the techniques. Without the techniques, you're not going to do the behavior. And without the attitude, you're not going to do the technique or the behavior. But which comes first? Which is more important, behavior or attitude, would you say? Wow. Uh, I think attitude. Ah, see, most because even if even if you do it, even if you have the behavior and you do the behavior, if you don't have the attitude, you're going to do it poorly. Ah, you see, most people go for attitude, but I, I I say behavior because think about it. If you want to lose weight and you've got to go to the gym, and it's six o'clock Monday morning, and you don't want to go, but you force yourself to go begrudgingly, so you do the behavior. The, the attitude eventually catches up because after a month of going at 6 a.m., you suddenly get to the point where you say, actually, this is now part of my life. This is my routine. I actually don't have feel negative about getting up at 6 because this is what I do. By doing the behavior, your attitude will invariably catch up unless you're in something you shouldn't be in. Yeah. So with that said, who do you prefer to work with as a salesperson? Somebody that's new and inexperienced and doesn't have these judgments already or somebody who has proven results and has been in the business for a while but is more stuck in their ways? Oh, that's a very good question. As both both uh, come with their challenges and both come with their um, uh, uh, strengths. Um, someone who's been in sales a long time can have that eye-opener moment. So when I teach, talk people through the buyer-seller dance and what's happening. The number of managing directors who've looked at me and said, you've just described the last 20 years of my life. I said, I know. It's horrible, isn't it? So yeah, it is. It's like, I can't believe I've never seen this before. I said, now that you see it, you have to make a decision. Do you keep doing this because it's comfortable or do you change? But that change will be painful and that change will result in you actually probably taking a dip in sales because you're going to be doing something that is fundamentally counterintuitive to what you've done. So you get people that I work with that take to what I teach, be they new newbies. I've got a young guy who's just entered into sales, and I've got a guy who's an ex-banker, made his millions in the city, and has now got another business. And I work two polar ends. Both of them have taken to the material uh, uh, like ducks to water, and uh, they, they swear by it. And then you get someone else who says, I don't see how it works. I can't make it work. This isn't for us. Um, so <laughs> I don't mind either or. I'm interested in the two out of 10 that will get what I teach and apply it. Give me 10 salespeople. I know eight will say they get it intellectually. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I've got it. But they won't do it. There's two that say, this will change my life and the way I sell forever. And those are the two I'm looking for. And they can be the seasoned salesman or they can be a junior. It's, it's, it's all down to the individual, actually. Yeah. So neither is good or worse. They're, um, people are people. <laughs> yes. All right. So what's the quickest uh, fix that a salesperson could do or make to make the biggest improvement for themselves? The biggest improvement would come back to the belief about what's driving your behavior in a sales meeting. And the hardest thing for me when I first started in, in, in the line of work that I'm in was convincing myself that I'm financially independent and I do not need the business. 
going into any sales meeting, be it on the call, be it a telephone call, or be it face-to-face, if you're able to believe that you do not need the business, that you don't have to get a close, that you don't have to make this work today, I'm just going to go on there and find out, do these people really have a problem I can fix? And if they do, why do they want to fix it? And if they do want to fix it, do they want to fix it today? And are they willing to invest the time, money and resources to make it work? And are they willing to make a decision to a process that I can adhere to? If I just go on and try and do that, I'll be fine. So it, it, it is the mindset around money. That is it. That's the one thing a prospect has that a salesperson cannot um, recreate themselves. And they just dangle money at you and then they say dance. And I know as, and I know as a buyer that all I have to do is dangle money at a salesperson and the negotiation can begin. But think of it from the, think of it. Have you ever, have you ever wanted to buy something and they've refused to sell you it? I. Not that I could think of. No, well, I, I've had it only happen to me once. I wanted to book somewhere for an event. And for whatever reason, they said, we're not going to take your booking. And do you know about how much outrage you feel as a prospect? How dare you? You mean my money is useless? And that's the thing. Money is useless unless someone's willing to take it from you. It is a commodity. And if a salesperson can accept that, I, you may have money. But guess what? If I can fix your problem and I don't want to, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. So what what could a salesperson learn from this lesson? What they learn is that if if they stop focusing on the end game, it's called emotional detachment. A professional is never emotionally connected to the outcome. Because if you're connected to the outcome emotionally, your interest is primarily selfish and that selfishness will prejudice the types of questions and the style and the manner of questions that you ask. So being able to convince yourself, even if you're living out of the back of your car eating cold beans from a can, that you are financially independent and do not have to make a sale will change the way you conduct yourself. Because a human being can only act in a manner consistent with their beliefs. You cannot behave any differently. So when you start out, you're sure you're going to take things that you don't want to take. I get that. There's a practicality. But the more you tell yourself, I don't need this business, I'm financially independent, the better you will become at selling and getting to the truth, which is what selling is about, getting to the truth. Why am I here? Now, how do you get the sales management on board with this? Ah, well, how much time of a sales... I mean, sales managers are usually the best salespeople that have been promoted. So what tends to happen is you lose a great salesman and get a crap manager. That seems to be uh, the most common thing uh, because sales management is a completely different skill uh, from being a good salesperson. But there's... But, so why that happens, I don't know. Um, but it's just the way it goes. So a sales manager, they have, they have two functions in life. Hire the right people and get the best out of them. That's it. That's their whole job. I mean, a, a good salesperson is self-employed. If they know what their minimum behaviors are and they know that if they do their minimum behaviors consistently every day, every week, every month, if they do that, they'll hit target and they do it and they learn from their mistakes and their sales manager coaches them and aids them and guides them, they'll be fine. And that's a sales manager's job is just get them to agree what it is they need to do to be successful and help them get there. Um, and they should do write-ons. They should do regular role play. R role play is huge in my world. If you're not role playing 
before a meeting and after a meeting, something's gone wrong. So you've got to do pre-call planning. You've got to do post-call debriefing. You've got to capture lessons. You've, that's what a manager, a sales manager's job is to do. It's not to manage numbers. It's to manage the behavior that will get to the numbers. So always, a good sales manager should always be training and uh, providing feedback. Providing feedback and coaching. Uh, giving them a culture to where they are allowed to fail. You create a culture where you're not allowed to fail. You create a culture of blame and excuse. I'd rather have a culture where people come up to me and say, you know what, I, I, I completely screwed up. We lost that deal because of me. And it was my fault because I didn't ask the one most important question that had I asked it, we would have realized that we couldn't move forward. Rather than someone comes to I have no idea why we lost it. I reckon it was just our product wasn't right. You know, or whatever BS they're going to feed you. If you create a culture where people are not allowed to fail in a structured environment, and one where they learn from failure. You know, someone who repeatedly fails and doesn't learn anything is a loser. That's that's the difference. You know, so you need an environment where failure is tolerated so long as lessons are taken and not repeated. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. I agree with that. Uh, I think that's really, uh, really key to be able to learn from your mistakes. Oh, without doubt. Because you only learn from failure. You can't learn from success. So, Yeah. Yeah, you could read anybody's biography, yeah. uh, and and it's all the same. I remember I um uh, I, I I worked in recruitment a long long time ago, and I set a company record. I worked for this company for six months and didn't recruit a single person. I was crap. I was absolutely <laughs> I was awful at it. But I remember having to tell a story to a group of people, and you got all these other guys standing up there rabbiting on about how great they've been at recruitment and how well they've done, and I had to tell people about my experience and. I was honest with them and uh, told them how it'd been. Do you know what? More people were interested in asking me questions and about the winners because most people are failing and struggling and they just were good to talk to someone that had been there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, focus on you learn from failure. You don't learn from success. Um, um, success is great, but success is the byproduct of doing something well. And in order to do something well, you have to have failed at it to start with. Absolutely. Yeah. Benjamin, thank you very much for joining us today. I think uh, I think there's my head is spinning with the amount of stuff we covered. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. I, is is there a way that people could uh, reach out and contact you? Uh, most definitely. The easiest way to get a hold of me is on uh, LinkedIn. Um, so it's just Benjamin Dennehy. Um, my email, if you wanted to email me direct, it's just my name, Benjamin.Dennehy at Sandler.com. But easiest place connect with me uh through linkedin uh watch my videos uh read my posts and drop me a line uh especially if you're on the uh, southeast coast of england uh, uh that that that'd be good if you're further afield i may try and help but i'll probably send you to a trainer more local to you um but yeah um yeah linkedin is, is where i hang out it's my uh procrastination behavior from telephone prospecting as well <laughs> it's your Facebook. It's my Facebook, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Benjamin, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. To contact Adam about consulting services or speaking engagements, visit startupsalespodcast.com or email startupsalespodcast at gmail.com. All right, Benjamin, let's finish up with the final five questions here. Yeah. 
What is your favorite sales or leadership book? Um, the book is written by David Sandler. It's called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. It basically tells the story of how he created the selling system that I am an advocate and passionate believer in. It's an incredible book, uh, and it's a very easy read. It's very enjoyable. So, yeah, David Sandler, You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. Excellent. Do you have someone that you follow or read for sales and leadership ideas? Marcus Kalki. That's um, C-A-U-C-H-I. Uh, Marcus, follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, he, he is one of the best sales people I have met in my life. He makes me look awful. This guy is good, uh, and and <laughs> and I cannot tell you. And he's a Marmite character too. He's like me, but even more caustic. But uh, if you need any expert advice, he is certainly the man to go to. Marcus Kalki. But he's not the most hated. He's not the most yeah. hated. No, no, he's not. <laughs> that's that's something you got that's over mine. him. Yeah, yeah. He can't take that from <laughs> me. <laughs> Good. This next question is something I normally ask for people that are more active actually in sales and not as much the training side, but are you available 24-7 or do you have strict uh, personal time boundaries? Strict personal time boundaries. Absolutely. And what do you suggest for uh, salespeople? On strict personal time boundaries? Yeah. Um, you've got to make that clear with your client or customer at the very beginning. You've got to manage expectations. Um, and you need to make it clear that they can have access to you, but within certain times. So it's all about planting your feet. Uh, and if you do that nurturingly and upfront and agree it, it's not, and it's mutually agreed, understood, and accepted, there should be no problem. Okay. What's your favorite tool uh, for sales? I would say, I have to say LinkedIn, because um, that's primarily um, what I use. All my data, I just stick into an Excel spreadsheet, which isn't very flash or fancy, because uh, I just want a list of numbers in front of me when I'm telephone prospecting. I don't need any fancy system to leave notes, left a voice message sort of nonsense. You know, if we've spoken, I'll know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So what one piece of advice do you have for all the founders, CEOs, or sales leadership out there? You have bought a sales job. I know you've created something that you love and you think is going to change the world, and it probably will. Um, but you've got to remember one thing. No one gives a toss. No one cares. And the problem you're going to have is you're going to go in full of passion and enthusiasm and trying to get people to buy into you. Now, that will work in some instances. But on the whole, most people want to know, what problem does it fix for me? How can it fix it? If I do fix it, will it make my life easier and better and take away this pain? And if it can't do that, no matter how intellectually brilliant it is, they're not going to buy. So you've bought a sales job. You're going to have to sell this for the first three to five years. Um, the fun part comes a bit later on, and I, I can't stress that enough. You know, um, It's your baby. These are your wedding photos. These are your holiday snaps. No one cares. You know? <laughs> what they care about is them and their selfish self-interest. Tap into what you help them achieve and where you're going to get them. Don't need to talk about your product or what you do that much. Talk about what it fixes and why that fix is relevant for them. Very good advice. Don't don't uh, sell the features, sell the, sell the solution. Exactly. Excellent. Benjamin, again, thank you very much for joining oh, thank us. Thank you for having me, Adam. It's been a pleasure.